Hello friends, my name is Wally and I'm part of the pastoral leadership team here at Jericho Ridge Community Church. And as Pastor Jenna mentioned, I have the privilege of kicking off our Advent sermon series called A Joyful Hope. Now there are normally four main themes in Advent, hope, peace, love, and joy. But for the past three years, we've been doing a deeper dive into each one of these individually. And this year, we're going to do a deeper dive into the particular theme of joy. In the four weeks of Advent and on Christmas Eve, we'll be looking at five people and their unique experiences of joy as they take part in the story of Jesus' birth. So let's begin our time and our series in prayer this morning. Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you for the Advent season. Lord, it's a season of waiting, and we are reminded of uh, the people of the first century waiting for the Messiah to come and how you uh, slipped into time and entered into the presence of humanity through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we also know that Advent is a time of expecting return, the return of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the King of Kings. And so that's where we are today. In between these two times, Lord God, we know that you are still at work. And so we ask, Lord God, that you would reveal to us, that you would show to us how you are at work in the presence and in the person of Jesus Christ. And we pray all these things in his strong name. Amen. Friends, God is still full of surprises. In fact, God does much of his best work in the unexpected. When we call for something fast and external, God often delivers slow and internal. When we look for him at the front door, he enters through the back door. When we think he's going to jump into action, he often holds back, sometimes excruciatingly so. And about the time we lose our joy and start to give up hope, he appears with life in his hands. God has a history of pulling off surprises. Just think of some stories from the Old Testament. The Red Sea was a dead end for the Israelites. And then, surprise, God parts the waters. The walls of Jericho were an ominous obstacle for Joshua and his army. But surprise, one shout and the walls crumble. Or Goliath. Goliath towered over an entire Israelite army, let alone a scrawny sheep herder named David. But surprise, one rock, a sling, and young David stood victoriously over the giant. When circumstances count God out, history tells us that God can never be counted out of any situation. The Bible says in Matthew 19.26 that with God all things are possible. God is omnipotent. He's infinite, unrestricted, and self-sufficient. Those attributes boggle our minds because we as humans are the opposite. We're impotent. We're finite. We're limited. We're needy. Unlike us, God feels no hopelessness. He faces no barriers. He knows no limits, and he entertains no fears. Our impossible as humans does not stump God. So consider a woman in the New Testament, in the first century, named Elizabeth. She's the wife of Zechariah, the mother of John the Baptist, the relative of Jesus' mother, Mary. God unveiled her, his surprise for Elizabeth at a momentous time in history. Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, was breaking into human history as a baby. The story of Jesus' birth in the New Testament is in itself the most incredible, unexpected surprise. And as Pastor Jenna mentioned in her Advent feature, God had been silent for 400 years between the Old and the New Testaments. And then, without the pomp and the circumstance that the Israelites were expecting and waiting for, 
God slips into the world and selects several unexpected people to play significant roles in his plan. And nestled in this dramatic time in history is Elizabeth, the wife of an aging priest. In the Bible, one of the gospel authors named Luke says this about Elizabeth and Zechariah's character in Luke chapter 1 verses 5 and 6. Zechariah was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from a priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. And yet it says in verse 7, this godly couple had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. No little joyful giggles or innocent smiles filling their home. No parental pride swelling their hearts with joy. In fact, their joy was stained and hope was long diminished by decades of infertilities. infertility. Barrenness is how Elizabeth is almost immediately described by her contemporaries. They were obedient, the scripture says, and they were childless. On top of the confusion of being obedient and not being rewarded with their heart's desire, on top of the sadness and the emptiness that any involuntary childless couple can understand today, Elizabeth also bore the social and religious stigma attached to infertility in those days. The Jewish rabbis in the first century said that there were seven types of people who were cut off, excommunicated from God. And the list began like this, a Jew who has no wife, or a Jew who has a wife, but who has no child. Consequently, childlessness in the Jewish first century was valid grounds for divorce for tossing aside a woman and replacing her with another. So shadowing Elizabeth's personal sorrow and pain was the communal bleakness of shame that was endured over a lifetime well into her old age. Who could ever expect that this aging, heartbroken and shamed woman was even on God's immediate radar, let alone about to play a part in his plan to redeem humanity? But then, surprise, one day, Elizabeth's husband is performing his annual priestly duties in the temple, as we read in Luke chapter 1, verse 11. Gabriel, an angel of the Lord, appeared to Zechariah, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. Verse 17, he will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. And then skipping to verse 23, when Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. And then we next encounter Elizabeth six months into her pregnancy when her young relative Mary unexpectedly shows up at the door, pregnant with the divine baby Jesus, the Messiah. And after Mary was visited by Gabriel, the same angel that visited Zechariah, she conceives as a virgin by the Holy Spirit, and then we read in Luke 1, 39. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. 
At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my, wo in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Friends, what incredible joy in the completely unexpected. Three times we see Elizabeth discover joy in the unexpected surprises of these verses. First, Elizabeth is surprised by her own unexpected pregnancy. Imagine her going about the daily routine of her life. Her husband is off doing his week of annual priestly duties, and then he returns, but he can't speak. Obviously, something intense has happened while he was at the temple and in God's presence, and the assumption from Elizabeth's perspective may have been that whatever happened, her husband couldn't speak, and it must not have been a good thing that happened. This must have been some sort of punishment for something that he did wrong. And so the two of them have to communicate without speech, and ultimately Elizabeth hears the words that Zechariah heard from the angel. God has heard your prayer. Elizabeth will give birth to a son, and you are to name him John. What? How is that even possible? Friends, for us, we live in a time where we assume that we can plan these types of events down to the month. And if our personal plans don't naturally succeed, we then have access to medical science and doctors to assist our plans. Trust me, as someone personally who has gone through the joy-draining realities of infertility, you do everything in your power to plan and accomplish the goal of having children. You reorient your daily routine. You research. You talk to people. You make appointments. You redirect your finances. And ultimately, you wait for test result after test result. And everything eventually comes down to a schedule of science. And when that doesn't work, and the doctors say it's not worth spending more resources or money or their time on, you pray even harder for a miracle, and you continue to wait. But eventually, time empties your joy reserves and removes the hope of anything biological being possible. And Elizabeth? Elizabeth was well down that joyless timeline of hopelessness when Zechariah arrived home with unexpected news. Now imagine the range, the flood, the roller coaster of emotions that she must have been thinking and feeling and speaking that day. Saying to Zechariah, let's hurry up, let's get to bed and see what God, if what God said is true. And then flipping and saying, wait, let's not go to bed. What if God didn't say that? What if you heard wrong? Imagine all the what ifs running through her head. But if it is true, and we do get pregnant. How do we care for an infant and raise a child in our old age? I mean, Elizabeth's head must have been spinning with thoughts of, uh, of this is all so fast and unexpected, and what do we do? Well, Luke 1.24 tells us, Soon afterward, Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. But before she goes, joy erupts and Elizabeth lets everyone know how kind the Lord is, she exclaims. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Elizabeth receives the surprise from God, and she rejoices in the unexpected. Elizabeth's joy is so deep that the scriptures say she yelled it out. She couldn't contain herself anymore. 
Decades of shame and guilt, insecurity, questioning, all of it evaporating in a moment. Her joy being reconstructed to the point where she couldn't contain it. To that point that when it came time to write his gospel down the road, Luke, the author, had heard her words through the, through the pipeline loud and clear and needed to record them for generations to hear. How kind the Lord is. He has taken away my disgrace. For decades, society had shamed Elizabeth and deemed her as someone who should be tossed aside. But now she's shouting out to everyone that God has shown up in a way that none of them would have expected. This was Elizabeth's personal moment of joy, and it was going to go viral. God showed up and delivered in the impossible. And I'm sure that in her mind, she replayed a personalized version of the angel's words to Zechariah that we read earlier in Luke. You, Elizabeth, are carrying a son, and you will call him John. You, Elizabeth, will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice. John is going to be great in the eyes of the Lord, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many to the Lord their God. He will prepare the people for the coming Savior. Friends, Elizabeth is shouting to anyone who will listen. It's happening. It's really happening. Completely unexpected. God is on the move, and I am a part of his plan. Wow, that joy in the unexpected must have carried her during those five months that we just read of seclusion that she's going into. After those five months, we, we then next find Elizabeth in the sixth month of her pregnancy when she gets an unexpected knock at the door. Mary, a young relative, drops in unannounced. A complete surprise. Now in our time, we might think, how impolite, how inconvenient. We don't just show up without calling first. We live in a life of planning, an individual space. We respect that. We want to know well in advance who's coming over. We don't just drop in. We know whom we've invited for dinner, let alone to stay for a few days. Now, if someone's going to stay for a few days, we expect a long process. We expect a phone call to plan it out, an email reminder a few days in advance to say, hey, I'm, remember, I'm coming, and a, and a text when the person is 30 minutes away. But not so in Elizabeth and Mary's world. People just showed up. And often they showed up dusty and dirty because they'd walked days and days by foot. And then all of a sudden, knock, knock on your door. Surprise! Verse 39 in Luke 1. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Friends, this wasn't an inconvenient surprise for Elizabeth like it might be for us today. Yes, it was unexpected, but look at the joy it produced in Elizabeth. Her baby John, the one who would prepare the way for Jesus the Messiah, actually leapt within her with joy. Now, I'm no expert on babies in the womb, but even I can Google, go to Dr. Google and see what takes place at six months. And from everything I read, it's still relatively low key in the womb at six months. The baby's starting to focus on sounds outside the womb, like a parent's voice. And it's also the time where the baby starts to kick and punch and roll. But nowhere in my reading did it talk about movement like leaping within the womb. 
From what I can gather, that would have been an extreme experience for Elizabeth, an attention getter. God was mediating incredible joy and excitement to her unborn child in the sixth month. And then verse 41 carries on with another extreme movement within Elizabeth. It says, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Imagine two unexpected and extreme experiences in the matter of a second. Was Elizabeth concerned? Was she nervous? Was she shocked? Was she frightened? Was she thinking that something was going wrong with her, with her physical body? Was she thinking that maybe something was going awry with her pregnancy? Verse 42 says, Elizabeth gave a glad cry, a glad shout of wow. Friends, we need to remember that at that time, the filling of the Holy Spirit was still a relatively rare experience for God's people. The Holy Spirit was not given en masse to God's people until some 30 plus years later, after Jesus' death and resurrection, after his ascension back into heaven, when he finally sends the Holy Spirit. John leaping in Elizabeth's womb and the Holy Spirit filling Elizabeth could have easily rattled her because they would have been so foreign. But she doesn't miss a beat in the unexpected. Again, she receives what God has for her and discovers incredible joy in it. And that joy flows into the next, the third unexpected scene as Elizabeth transfers, extends her joy to young Mary. Mary, this relative of Elizabeth, is so much younger, so young that she's not even married yet. And when you think in a hierarchical society where Elizabeth had practically no status, Mary would have actually been subservient even to Elizabeth simply because of her age and her status as a single young teen. Elizabeth, who came from a priestly line and was married to a priest, was deemed an outcast. Imagine Mary's status in her society. Young, which meant very little worth. Female, which meant even less worth. And pregnant before marriage, that meant a death sentence by stoning. Mary was not only a nobody, she was actually marked for death in that society. This was not someone that Elizabeth, the wife of a priest, should be associating with, especially when she had been told by an angel that her baby was going to play such an important role in God's holy plan. So how does Elizabeth respond to Mary? With a joyful blessing. No judgment, no shame, no competition that all of a sudden her miracle pregnancy, her miracle baby John, is being overshadowed by Mary's miracle baby, the Messiah. No self-pity that Mary gets to be pregnant at such a young age. She doesn't have to wait decades like Elizabeth had to. No bitterness that Mary's been chosen to carry Jesus, God himself, the Messiah, the one who Elizabeth's son will actually serve. Elizabeth doesn't manifest a selfish thought whatsoever. You'd think that a normal first reaction when Mary shows up, the up, shows up at her door would have been something like this. Oh, Mary, so good to see you. You must have heard about my pregnancy and come to celebrate with me because God has been so good to me. What? You're pregnant too? Already? So young? And with a baby that's even more important than mine? Ah, uh, Mary, I'm not so sure I want you to be staying at my house. Perhaps you should go back home. Friends, there was none of that kind of response 
Luke 1 verse 42, Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed, Mary, because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. The joy of Elizabeth completely overshadows young Mary's unexpected pregnancy. Elizabeth oozes joy and, and extends it to a young, inexperienced Mary by speaking blessing of, over her. So much so that Mary in later verses goes on to respond with a song of praise that continues to be central to the Christmas story all these centuries later. The entire scene, friends, was fraught with potential uncertainty and angst because of its surprising, unexpected nature. And yet the entire scene between these two women is one of complete joy. First Elizabeth and then Mary find their joy in God who is sending into the world Jesus, the Messiah. God interrupted and surprised both women with the unexpected. And in Elizabeth, we see a mature and godly woman whose years of disappointment and unanswered prayer actually deepened her faith rather than destroyed it. Elizabeth maintained a walk with God even though the joy of her heart's desire was gone from decades of disappointment and unanswered prayer. Nevertheless, she was ready for God when he decided unexpectedly to break into her life, and her maturity was displayed in her relationship with Mary, her much younger relative. When God revealed to Elizabeth the role for, for which Mary had been chosen, Elizabeth overwhelmingly rejoiced with her, humbled at the privilege of being visited by the mother of the one who would be her Savior and Lord. Elizabeth's pregnancy, the internal experiences she experienced of a baby leaping within her and her being filled with the Holy Spirit, and the joy of Mary's visit as she carried Jesus. Three scenarios so surprisingly unexpected and in each a response of utter joy in what God was doing, all of it signaling the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. Friends, Advent is the time of year where we enter into the story of the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. And we do it in two ways. First, we remember his unexpected coming in the biblical story, which includes the story of Elizabeth. Elizabeth had so many reasons not to be joyful, barrenness, a mute husband, disgrace, judgment, and yet she finds joy in the promise of God in the coming of Jesus. And second, in Advent, we look ahead to Jesus' unexpected return someday soon as described in the book of Revelation. Joy is found in the promise that God is still active, that God is for us and with us, and he will fulfill his purpose. He will fulfill his plans and send Jesus back as King of Kings. So what will our posture be this Advent as we remember and wait? Where will we find our joy this Advent? Yes, friends, our joy comes in realizing that God also calls us to be part of this incredible story as it's unfolding today. Jesus was and will be sent again to this earth. Our joy is found in accepting that first arrival of Jesus as the Messiah. Our joy is found in our waiting of Jesus' return as our King. 
But our joy is also found right now in between those two events, in the unexpected places where God is showing up and continuing to unfold his plan of salvation, a plan that always revolves around Jesus, the one who alone is the Messiah, the Savior, our King. If you've lost your joy, or perhaps you've never realized that true joy, this Advent season I invite you to find it in Jesus. You might be expecting to find it in your family, in decorations and gifts and in the songs and the music and the festivities and the food, maybe even in a vaccine. But friends, joy is found in the unexpected. God in the form of a baby living to die for you, dying to be resurrected for you. It's so surprising, so unexpected that it's actually brilliant. A holy God entering into our sinful lives, entering into our brokenness and offering us forgiveness and salvation through his son, Jesus. Offering us his presence so that we could respond similarly to Elizabeth. God, why am I so honored that my Lord Jesus should visit me? What joy. What incredible joy we find when we realize that Jesus has come to visit us that the King of glory is asking to come and stay with us. In a moment, we're going to sing about this with Jared and the worship team. As we do, I encourage you to receive your joy in Jesus, whether that's a renewed joy or something you want to experience for the very first time. A simple prayer like this is all it takes. Pray with me. God, I didn't necessarily expect that you would slip into my life like this today, but here you are. And here I am, and I want to experience the joy of Jesus Christ in my life. Jesus, I welcome you into my life as my Savior, as my Lord. Would you forgive my sins? Would you heal my brokenness and fill me with your joy? Amen. Friends, just as Elizabeth did, we can receive that joy of Jesus Christ and we can sing. Let's sing with joy about Jesus. And if you're watching via our live stream on Church Online, you can click the prayer button and one of our pastors will be available to pray with you further as we worship Jesus together.